God bless you richly. Amen. Uh, I see Bishop Masangu here. Amen. How many know Bishop Masangu? Amen. And then I see Bishop, is it Bishop Nyoni? Yeah. Amen. here. Uh, Bishop Nune, I'm not even quite sure where he stays. I know originally he stays in Zambia. But one moment you see him in Uganda, the next moment he's in Zimbabwe. Uh, where we met it was in Zimbabwe. Amen. Uh, well, I call them bishops. I hope you don't get offended. They are my bishops, this ones. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Maliko is still here to continue where he left off from the first service. Amen. I know some people had to go because of the night shifts, uh, but they said we will catch him on recording. Amen. He's going to minister, and thereafter we will have uh, the communion service. Amen. How many are having expectations? How many were blessed in the first service? Uh, it was awesome. Amen. Sometimes when the sermon is too good, you don't want to say much, lest you spoil the sermon. But it was just spot on showing that the book of Joshua is the book of redemption. And it parallels the book of Ephesians. And I told him there's always been something special about Joshua chapter 1. Whenever you read that scripture, no matter where you are, it seems like that scripture just releases a special anointing. Amen. I always say, if, if you are a preacher, if you just read John chapter, uh, Joshua chapter 1, you can actually close the service. Amen. It's so precise, it's so spot on, but I think he showed us that actually the commission of the bride comes from Joshua chapter 1. Amen. God bless you, brother, uh, Pastor Crosby Maliko, and your beautiful wife for stopping by. Let's just sing a worshiping song. He is sitting next to, standing next to his brother-in-law. Amen. Amen. You know, when a man moves around with the in-laws, he's a dignified man. Amen. I always love a man that moves around, along, around with his wife. Amen. Just a round of applause. Amen. Because they went into the ark in pass. So it's good to see a man wherever he is in a parent form. Amen. Just a, a worshipping song as the man of God comes to the fore.
greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I uh, understand you have a communion after this service. So uh, I'm just going to uh, preach a short message. Short does not mean not powerful. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And short does not mean anything but just it's short. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm not less a man because I am short. I am a man, though I am short. So we are not going to have lesser service because it's short. It's a service. Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord? And I often give my disclaimers that I'm not deep, so a little bit of noise compensate. It's called compensatory behavior. When you say amen, it makes me feel like I'm preaching real good. So that noise, it helps me. Praise the Lord. It makes me strong and courageous. But if you are quiet on me, I am strong, but I don't know about courageous. Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Amen. Let us just bow our heads and pray. Gracious Father, we are grateful to be back in the house of the Lord. Lord, there is always something special that happens when you bring us back into your house. More so if there is an expectation for a communion. Lord Jesus Christ, I plead your blood and I pray that you might have your way with your people. There are some people who are going ways away. I pray that you might give them safe traveling mercies on their way back. Even this session, Lord, I pray that you might anoint it so powerfully that it leaves an indelible print upon our souls and puts us into, it puts us into the action of the Holy Ghost. Lord, move from bench to bench, need to need. Whatever your people require, if it's given, it means it's possible. And if it's possible, it means it's given. And for that, we are truly thankful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Amen. I will ask you to turn with me without wasting much of your time. I spot my brother from the back there. uh, I do not know what my brother was trying to say. He said, I don't know what he said, but it's Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see my brother. He's come to give me a lift back to Joburg, and I truly appreciate that. I've also got my brother-in-law and some relatives in there. I've got my sister-in-law as well. In our culture, she's my mother. She's the one that really is scary. Praise the Lord. If she says, jump. All I have to ask is, tell me what time to land back on earth. Praise the Lord. Uh, Without wasting much of your time, you know, I often forget to greet my wife, but uh, I'd like to greet Sister Florence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Where is she? I can't see her. Okay, she's somewhere there. Praise the Lord. Well, at least I've got some news to tell her that I greeted you, but you were not in. Amen. So, to God be the glory. And I also like to get my, 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 my special friend. If you all don't like my friend, it means you don't like me. If you like me, you like my friend. And I would like my friend to raise his hand so that you can begin to like him from now. My friend, raise your hand so that the people can begin to like you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, yes, I see my guru over there. I see my sister-in-law. Um, Koma Thomas' wife, that's my my guru. You have made it with your arm. How brave. 
May God bless you. Praise the Lord. She, she just had an operation a few, few days ago. I never thought, she, I thought my brother would come on his own, but uh, uh, we thank God for her presence. She's such a lovely woman. She's been a blessing to me since I can remember, probably from uh, grade four, thereabout. Is that right? That, that's how long ago. And she has always been that special sister-in-law that always gives us the five bobos when we needed money. Amen. So turn with me to your Bibles, to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. I'd like to take a portion there, verse 1 to 3. I would like the IT guy to be spot on with my scriptures, because then it will help us to speed with time. Amen. Genesis, chapter 26, verse 1, says, And there was a famine in the land. Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Which means this is the other famine. Which is not the same famine that you heard that Abraham ran from. This is the one that the son is running away from. So the Bible starts and reads and goes and says. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine. That was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went into Abimelech king of the Philistines unto Gera. And the Lord appeared unto him. Watch carefully. It wasn't Isaac having faith. It was the Lord appearing to him. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go, not down to Egypt. So don't go to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land and I will be with thee. In other words, if you go where I've asked you not to go, you'll be on your own. But if you dwell in this land, I will be with you. So it looked like because of the famine, Egypt was the attractive place to go. So God comes and gives Isaac an instruction. And the instruction that he gives him, Genesis 31, 1 to 3. And he heard the words of Laban's sons. Who is this that's hearing the words of Laban's son? Jacob. So scripture says, and he heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our fathers and of that which was our fathers hath he gotten all this glory so now here are the sons of Laban looking at Jacob and saying this guy he has plundered our father's wealth little did they know that their father was being blessed because of the presence of Jacob are you with me and Jacob 
beheld the countenance of Laban. And behold, it was not toward him as before. Now here is a scenario. The guy hears the words of the sons probably at another location. Then he says, you know, never mind. They might speak things that are not factual, so I don't mind. But when he goes to see Laban, and he sees the facial expression on Laban, he then says, "Mm, there is something to what those boys were saying. Says, now, this is a man that could have run based on the countenance of Laban and the words of his sons. But now he hears from God. And the Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I will be with thee. Make a note of that. We have read where Isaac himself was told, don't go that place, stay here and I'll be with you. Now we are reading where Jacob, the son of Isaac, is also being given the same, the same assurance that I will be with you. He is given a location with which to meet the blessing. Just like his father was given the location with which to meet the blessing. Which gives me to understand, if you are in the wrong place, you will not meet up with your blessing. So, be assured to find the right place. There, you will also meet the right blessing. So, you see now, the Lord speaks now to Jacob. He says, I will be with thee. He tells him to return where he was running away from. Are you with me? Sometimes God does people that way. He asks you to do the things that you never wanted to do. He asks you to take a stand that you never wanted to. If if it was within your makeup, you'd say, let this cup depart. Then that's the cup. He says, my friend, I'm afraid you've got to drink it. Are you with me? So let's read again. Exodus chapter 3. Or rather, let's skip that. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1 to 5. And then to Judges chapter 6. So that we can pull a text. And then get going. How many love the Lord? Joshua chapter 1, I shall read that from verse 1 to 5. We've already dealt with the importance of Joshua chapter 1. It says, now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all these people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And if it's given, it means it's a possession. And if it's a possession, it means it's given. We have read that commentary on that quotation in the morning service. And he says, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. 
And I tapped that light. The boundary of the believer is from, Revela- from Genesis to Revelation. And then from the tapes, 1947, faith is our substance. Right up to the last tape, communion. That is our territory. If it's in there, if you can locate your promise in there, receive it. Amen. To God be the glory. Do you love the Lord? Now let's go to... Now we find Joshua who comes some 430 years after Abraham. He's also told the same words that I will be with thee all the days of thy life. And then now we go to Judges chapter 6. I'm depending on the IT guys because we want to quickly release you because we realize that it's easier and it's better for you to travel if there is daylight. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So the reason for their famine is their lifestyle. Praise the Lord. So you know how the story goes. But I would like for you to skip to verse number 16. Take it back to verse number 13. Take it back to number 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, who? Gideon. And said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Praise the Lord. There again you see God coming down unsolicited, voluntarily, to a man called Gideon. And saying to Gideon, I will be with you. Amen. So now, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Ezra, chapter 6, verse number 13. And to Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. And then Mark eleven twenty-two. Then I'll join up the scriptures as I go. Praise the Lord. Ezra, chapter 6. Then Tatnai, governor on this side in the river, and Shetabozatan and their companions according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. And the elders of the Jews builded 
And they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Atazes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day on the month Ada, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, king of Darius the king. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of, of captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. Remember that? They built a house and they kept the dedication of the house of God with joy. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 to 2. Sorry for letting you stand this while. Uh, I'll be standing as well, so it's okay. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 to 2. This is the scripture that comes uh, uh, proceeding from chapter 6. But it is also of the dedication of the temple. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And then Mark eleven twenty two. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Amen. Believest thou this? And therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I have somewhat again an awkward title, but you will catch it as we go. Praise the Lord. I do not have that uh, little stick. But while we are looking for it, let's go for Psalms chapter 23, verse 1 to 4. And that's me done with my scriptures. And may the Lord bring an anointing upon them. And uh, may the believer receive what is ordained for them through the preaching of the word. Amen. Psalms chapter 23, it is a psalm that we are very familiar with. But there is a portion there that I would like to also extract so that at least... I might tie up my scriptures together for the glory of God. How many is under expectation? Uh, I would prefer it if you, if you pretend like we've not preached before. So that at least you can get the full benefit of the service. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. How many can say the same statement? And it says, I shall not want. Which means he will provide what I want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He protects us because he loves us, because we are his children, and because it is his responsibility to take care of us. There is no point in you trying to keep yourself because you've never been able to keep yourself. Even when you are given access to keep yourself, you always led yourself to the wrong places and did the wrong things. So I want to submit to you that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then the next part is the part that I want to extract from that portion. Why will I not fear any evil? For thou art with me. This is not God telling David that I am with thee. It is God in David assuring him that you know what? As long as the Lord is my shepherd, he will lead me to the right place. And if he leads me to the right place, he will bless me at the right place. So he says, though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Somebody shout, thou art with me. Shout it one more time. Thou art with me. Let me ask you to say it with conviction. How many truly believe that God is with them? Thou art with me. Amen. So my title this evening is, if I got it correct, I will be with thee and thou art with me. The I will be with thee is the portion that God himself came and spoke. The thou art with me is the portion that men answered. David was representing man in answering his faith. He is actually saying, yes, Lord, thou art with me. Though the Lord has already said, I am with thee. So we have two portions of scriptures that we have combined to have one title. We have a portion which addresses God coming to somebody in a situation and saying, I will be with thee. And then we have a portion where somebody who is in a situation is going through a treacherous time and is trying to encourage himself with a psalm. He says, thou art with me. And we are standing in between. We are standing between the promise that I'll be with you and the answer to say, you are with me. So God says, thou art, I will be with you. You say, amen. And the believer should answer and say, thou art with me. So I'll represent God and I'll say, I will be with you in 2017. The believer should answer and say, Thou art with me in 2017. That was my New Year's message in my church. That you've got to understand that every promise that's given by the Bible needs a response from the human being for it to be in action. It's not God that came to David and said, I am with you. But it is God that actually came to Laban. When Laban had decided to be a man that looks at Jacob with a nasty eye, 
God allowed Laban to squeeze out Jacob. And then he then went to Jacob and said, right, it looks like right now you are vulnerable. But I want you to know, go back to the land of your brothers, your fathers. I will be with you over there. And then he comes to Isaac. A few years later, Isaac is struggling from the same drought. This one is more intense. Says there was a famine in the land. Not as the famine of Abraham, but this one is another famine. And God comes to that site and he says, I know there is a famine. I know there is economic hardships in South Africa. Things are not easy. Things are tight. But let me reassure you, as long as you are in the right place, I am with you. And I believe Isaac must have gone the other side and said, well, I can't write psalms like David, but I'll answer and say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my life looks vulnerable at the moment, but I agree, thou art with me. So there comes a time where some, a prophecy and a scripture is to marry with the agreement of the believer in their heart. That is exactly what happened to Sister Hetty Wright. Sister Hetty Wright was not part of the testimony. The testimony had to do with the squirrels and the hunting expedition. But she managed to say, you know what, Brother Branham? I believe what you are saying. It's nothing but the truth. And God, the other side, says, you know what? I'm so happy. I'm going to give you the same blessing. What do you want? Sister Hattie Wright became a partaker of the third pool power, not by design, but by pleasing and answering God the right thing. I wonder tonight, is there someone that says, my situation looks messed up. I don't know how I'll navigate this February. I don't even know and have an idea how much will be. I don't even know by the time I get to April, my finances are messed up. I'm here to tell you as God's agent and God's minister, I will be with you. You are supposed to also answer and say, Lord, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Hallelujah! It's about the omnipotence of God. When two omnipotents meet, the miraculous should happen. The believer in God should come into the same junction. Somebody should identify their part of scripture and say, that's me. And somebody should give the scripture and say, that's what I'm going to do. And God is here to say, I'm going to bless you. And you're supposed to say, I believe it, Lord. Amen. That's the purpose of the preaching of the gospel. To get you into a category that naturally you'd never get into. So here is a man that is walking. He doesn't know his future. His father came through the same predicament. Amen. And when his father came through the same predicament, he did not know how to react in that circumstance. Praise the Lord. This man, amen, Isaac, he replicates the life of his father. His father sojourned to that same place. His father lied to a king and told a king that this woman is not my wife. She is my sister. Because he himself could see that I have been in this land of South Africa. I have seen all shapes and sizes, but nobody's like my wife. If the king sees this woman, he will kill me for this woman. Hallelujah. So when Isaac was born, he didn't know that his father had gone through that journey of lying to Abimelech. But because God was with Abraham, amen, he came to a king that had done the correct courtship, married the correct way, proposed the correct way, lied by a prophet. 
came to that king and says, right, if you touch this woman, you are a dead man. And the prophet says, amen. God saw the integrity of Abimelech. But yet still, he could never discount his prophet. The prophet was now walking in the valley of the shadow of death. How could you sell your wife for your wife to go? What was he thinking? If that marriage was consummated, what was going to happen there? But the portion I want you to catch is when God is with you. It's when on situations that your human frailties are about to catch up with the circumstances you're going through. If you can still figure it out and you still got plan A, plan B, plan C, that's not when you see God. You only see God when all the plans have been exhausted. All the cards have been played. The trump card has also been put on the table. We grew up on a game called Crazy 8. Now, don't you all be religious on me. We grew up on a game called Crazy 8 where we had cards. And you knew if somebody had their cards, you used to call it a Bible. Says ah, That one has got a Bible. So you would plan your cards so carefully. Praise the Lord. Brother Madiba came and became a Christian from a very young age. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. Let me educate him a bit. Because some of us got born again after a bit of being living in the world now and again. Did this and got a dish at somebody say amen. So with crazy aid, my brother, what used to happen is you would play your cards. Praise the Lord. And play your cards. You put your spades. You put your spades. You put your spades. You put your spades. And you are meanwhile timing that you're other. You're counting that your friend or the person you're playing with or the team you're playing with. They don't have the killer cards because there's a heap of cards that they that are on the side. So you say you have a card called two and then you put a two there. If your other friend wants to play smart and he's got two twos, he might predict that you might have the other two and the joker. Because the joker was the big, was the big deal. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, 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 don't you send quotation to Brother Madiba on the internet that where did you get this preacher that's preaching about gambling? Praise the Lord. I'm answerable to what I speak, not Brother Madiba. Somebody say amen. Because I realize I'm not dealing with this congregation only. There's also congregation on the ether waves. So now, with the cards now, you needed to know it was a game of wit where sometimes you pretended to have the less sufficient cards and you'd actually pick the two. And when you pick the two and you realize I've got the joker, I've got three twos, so you do a little maths calculation, you see that your friends, there is no way he's got the joke, the other joker. Or in case he has it, he doesn't have the other two because that's the one that he's just given me. So that one is back on the pile. So now, you then align your cards so well. And then you've got your K and your J. And uh, the, the K would give you a chance to play a game. The J would reverse. It used to be K play twice. Jack reverse, which gives me another option. And then if I make you pick two, while you're picking two, I give you another four. While you're picking four, I give you another two. And then you are picking six. While you are so exhausted of picking, I've got the last joker. While you are just picking, I put pa joker. Which makes you pick some more. And while you are breathing, you normally used to close the game in style. To show that you've deliberately thought out this plan. It's been meticulously done and carefully thought out. That the devil, who is the other person you're playing with, you've outwitted. 
So I ain't stopped crying, playing crazy eight since I became a Christian. So every time I sometimes pretend to the devil that I am weak. Then I'll say to him, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Just when he thinks he's got the better of me, because the devil doesn't know which strategy you will use. And he's not supposed to know. Praise the Lord. So then, that's when I'll play, K play twice, K play twice, and then I'll pick you five with a jack, with a joker, and then I close. So, the joker and the last card, they're called the trump card. So, the devil does not know unless we reveal our secrets to him. So, we must hold our cards so close. That is why a believer, if you want to achieve something spiritually, before it actually comes into action, don't speak about it. The devil will hear it and disturb it in the ether waves. And when you play cards, they say you hold your cards to the chest. Lest the devil hears and gets excited. Amen. So, now, here is a situation. God always used to come to people at junctions when they didn't have no direction and were not assured of the future. He would never come and give you a real assurance unless things were okay. So, he would come at your lowest point and tell you, I will be with you. When you're thinking that 2016 was so bad, now again we are into 2017. You're supposed to hit the ground running and yet everything around you does not look promising. God comes and reassures. That's his pattern throughout the Bible. I've skipped so many scriptures just to show you. He came to Isaac and he said, now this, this, this famine will make you run away, but don't go there. Stay here, I'll be with you. It means everything around you is not showing the prospect of God. I wonder who I'm preaching to. There might be things going around in your life. It doesn't look like God is with you. I'm here to tell you that he is with you. And if you are a real believer, you ought to answer and say, Thou art with me. So we see and we go to the book of Joshua. God comes and says, Now my servant Moses is dead. And he says, I will be with you. Wherever you step your feet, I'll give you that place. Footprints means possession. And then now we go in the middle of the Bible, the children of Israel, now they've forgotten their God. They've compromised left, right, and center. And God says, okay, the best way for you to get defeat is to run away from my principles. So I'll let the Midianites punish you. So now Gideon, is found in the book of Judges chapter 6, is now perplexed and vexed with famine. But Gideon now, there is something peculiar about this guy. He chooses to not be defeated by circumstance. And God is looking for people in this day and in this hour that will defy their circumstances. That will say no, I'm not going to observe lying vanities. I'll stand by God's word and God's promise. And God looks at Gideon and he likes that. And he comes down. Instead of saying, oh, poor Gideon, I see the economic hardships you guys are going through. I wonder how you are going to pull through. We are going to try and make a way somehow if, if the devil permits. 
God comes down to a man who's depressed by his situation, but he doesn't allow his situation to put him down. Comes to him and says, Thou mighty man of valor, I will be with you. And Gideon says, ah, 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 ah. At this point in time, we have to have a dialogue. If you are with me as you are saying, where are all the things we've heard about that you used to do back in the... Where be all the miracles? We were told from Sunday school that you are a god of a paradox. Where are the paradoxes? Gideon begins to say, ah, I'm not going to buy that unless you tell me how I can survive this. And God is actually happy that here is a man that's got enough anxiety to challenge his status quo. And what made him qualify for God to say, I am with you, was the very fact that he was able to say, right, the Midianites are taking all our crops. So, since they know where to take our crops, they come to the wheat press and they get our wheat. Now I'm going to think outside the box. I'm going to thrash my wheat, not at the wheat press, but I'm going to the wine press. There ain't nobody in their right mind who will look to plunder wheat at a wine press. And that initiative that Gideon took is what made him to be addressed by God as a man of valor. He is not a person like other people would be that are, you know what, there's no point in applying for a job. Even Zuma said we are going to create employment because there's no employment. Do you know that someone can make money by picking rubbish? He is actually happy that you throw away your garbage. The more garbage you throw away, the more money he makes. It takes thinking outside the box. So the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to have faith and to trust that God will never let you down. You've got to actually take this sermon as yours to say today, the 12th of February, God came down, put his words in a preacher and told me he is with me. And the believer has got to answer and say also, thou art with me. So my title is, I will be with thee and thou art with me. Praise the Lord. Saints, there is no point of being in the message unless you thoroughly believe the apple of the eye of God is upon the message believer. There is not enough devils in hell that will destroy your future. Somebody say, Amen. You are too powerful a believer that there ain't nothing going to happen to you. You must believe that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. There's not enough devils to defeat the purpose and program of God for my future, for my life. Receive it if you can. 
When you believe that, if you're caught between a rock and a hard place, you will always expect a paradox because that's what the message teaches that at any time there might be a ram caught up in a thicket. Our God is here to deliver everybody. Amen. That is why we are in the E class. We begin to believe the unbelievable. When you believe the unbelievable, your folks will think, your workmates will think you are crazy. But brother, that's the kind of people that God is looking for. When he came to Jacob and said, I am with you, God began to multiply Jacob by manipulating the DNA of the sheep. That is in itself is a paradox. How God has got my next blessing is none of my business. All I have to do is believe there is a blessing for me somewhere. It is of the Lord's message that we are not consumed. His compassions. The devil's plan is to destroy you each morning. But God's plan is to make you survive each morning. So we ought not to be coaxed into believing. Believing should be in the fabric of our life. It should be the character of who we are. That's what separates Pentecostals from message believers. To them, believing is a part-time thing. To us, it's a way of life. So God has to come to you with insufficient resources. And say, thou mighty man of God, I am with you. And that is why now you find the whole life of the prophet. It bordered on God coming to show him each junction that I am with you. I am with you. Now, if that be the case, that should give us a full assurance that all the assurances that were given for the prophet are ours. There's another message I would have preached, but I'll preach it maybe sometime when God allows me to come this way. It's called, I'm included in the promise. Brother Branham says, Sarah was not spared because she was righteous. She was a part of Abraham. And says, and the bride too will not get into the rapture because they've been so holy. But it's because you've been begot by Christ. You are Christ's wife. So for his sake, So every promise that has to do with Christ has to do with the bride. Are you with me? So the other scriptures I've read are three scriptures that I've taken from the same message I've preaching from. Paradox. Paragraph 31. The the, the one I quoted in the afternoon, it's paragraph 40. If you remember, I quoted from the same spoken word. It's a very short take. Listen to the prophet. And he says here. Now I begin my sermon. He says, now, I wore out one Bible, which means he read it and read it until it was worn out. I wore out one Bible since I started in the healing campaigns or praying for the sick rather. At Houston, Texas, was given me a Bible years ago. 
some 18 years ago by Brother Kidson and his group. And I wore that Bible back and forth around the world until it just completely wore out. Pages come out of it. And I was just given a new Bible. And the strange thing, I am not superstitious. I hope you people don't think me to be superstitious. When this Bible was given to me, they had a little, two little markers in it. Little ribbons. It's a Bible like I had. Remember, in the morning, this is a prophet that the Bible would come and a hand would show him where to read. When he needed a text, he'd say, hand me the Bible. And every time he opened it, something happened. Amen. Now, this time, his Bible is worn out. Some brothers have a kind gesture. They buy him a Bible. And in that Bible, there is two markers. Amen. And it's a Bible like I had. And he says, right. Here are the two markers. Brother Kitson gave me a Scofield Bible. Not because that I agree with Scofield in his notes. Now, probably some of you do. Some of you don't. But I just let you know that just don't take Scofield Bible because I believe that. Because it's got it on so paragraphed off till, you know, that one of my first Bibles and I just... I just learned to read it like that and it just just keep the same Bible See, which if I could have had the Thompson chain it would have been much more better. I could have found my text much faster on the Thompson chain reference. Is that right? Then the prophet says but when I opened my Bible the first little ribbon in the Bible was a very strange place. Where it was, was when Solomon dedicated the temple. Second Samuel chapter 6, getting into chapter 7. That's the other scripture that I read. And the glory of God was so great that the Shekinah glory in the building till the priest could not even minister. And then the next thing, string, the next string was lying there. Ezra returned and dedicated the temple. And the third little marker that my wife had gotten me and put in the Bible, not knowing with my name on it and so forth, was laying on Mark eleven twenty-two. Just She just stuck it in the Bible and that's where it was at. And if you say to this mountain, be moved. And the prophet is preaching a message called paradox. And he's coming and saying, I have had a hand which made me read verses. And now I have a new Bible that I was given. And the Bible had three markers stuck. Two of them, the ribbons. The other one was on Ezra. The other one was on Chronicles. The one that was on Ezra, it was after the building and dedication. And the other one that was on Chronicles, it was after the building and the dedication. And the third one is after the human building and the dedication. That was the third pool now. <laughs> you will catch it sometime. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters. Brother Branham is trying to tell people that the message we've received is a supernatural message. Even when I'm given a Bible, it's marked on the correct place. Amen. 
It's marked on a temple when it was built in the days of Ezra. And then it's marked when a temple was built in the days of Solomon. And then there is another temple in the last days. The tabernacle of God is with men. It becomes God speaking through a man and it's Mark eleven twenty-two. If you say, says she put it there by mistake. At another time, he was preaching in a message, birth pains. And he was given a Bible that was stuck. And he was handed the Bible by a Roman Catholic priest. Because the one that he had, he couldn't open the correct scripture. And the priest says, here you are son, use my Bible. And then he preached the following day. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. Because what happened to the prophet that day was similar to what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach dead tidings unto the people. So you see, nothing just was happening. Everything, even the minutest of detail, had a spiritual significance. And he's saying this in the message paradox. Then shortly after this, we are now on paragraph 36. He then goes to speak about the hand with the calf, which we preached about in the morning. Amen. So what is the whole point? If God is with us, we ought to agree that though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil, for thou art with us. Which means the life of a believer is living on the edge where you are constantly I'm about to tipple over, but somehow God's hand will pull you back into position. He always does it because faith is not having five million in the bank account. Faith is something required of you tomorrow when today there is nothing, but you know here is, there is a rem caught up in a thicket because he is Jehovah Jireh. Why would God say, trust me? Why do you tell a person, brother, trust me, I'm coming, or I'll do this? It means there is not enough evidence to prove that what you are saying can happen. So trust has to come into action. Why would you say to somebody, I am with you? I've got your back. Don't worry, brother. How many have ever been in an exercise where they are lending each other money with a brother? And you tell a brother, I'll give you tomorrow. When the banks open, don't make that mistake. Because if you have a sleepless night and you have to sleep the hour before the banks open, at exactly 10 past after the banks open, the brother you made a promise will ring you. And you better not miss that phone call while you are in the bathroom having a shower. That brother will be under stress. Because in his mind, because he wants the money, you've got to answer the phone all the time. Otherwise, the man will be under such stress. Hello? You will see 17 missed calls in five minutes. Am I talking to real believers? Now, God knows our character. That's why he tells us, trust me. Because if you don't have a trust in God, you will have 37 missed calls to heaven. But when you trust... You know that let the scandling demons around me, let everything show the wrong direction, but I trust that somehow 
God will make a way. That's the kind of trust that God is trying to teach the believer. Such that when Lazarus died, he went to his friends and says, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake I'm not there. He had to tarry a bit more. He never rushed. He waited for the funeral. And then after the funeral, he waited for him to be buried. Then he arrived. Because he wanted to say, right, I want to see whether you guys trust me. He says, I am the resurrection. He says, I believe that at the last day we shall say, no, 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 no. I mean right now. I can even bring him out of that grave. And I'm preaching to you today, right now. Something that's dead in your life can resurrect right now. Sometimes God waits for your situation to have corruption. He is four days late, but he is still on time. He waited until, of Martha, until all of Martha and Mary's relatives had something to say. Look at us now. We are now the ones that are raising millimil to make your funeral a success. Where is your Jesus who you ate with all the time? Even the priest and the rabbi came and said, look at you now. Didn't we tell you not to leave our church? Where's your Jesus? These new ministries that come. How could you follow someone with no accommodation? <laughs> Brother, you cannot follow God without a severe and powerful trust element. You've got to trust that he is with you. And you've got to answer that thou art with me. There is no true worship. If everything is given on a plate, some things you've got to trust. Some things have got to wait for the 11th minute. Some things have got to wait until the thing is closed. And then after hours, your blessing is got. And all this, the prophet is trying to teach us to live in the realm of expecting a paradox. And I wonder tonight, is there someone expecting a paradox? When you expect a paradox, you come to a point where you have a settled peace. You don't get stressed when things are not in your control. You actually resign. And you say, Lord, take over. You said you are with me. Take over. Right now, I'm beginning to believe that if we don't have that much trust, we've spoke about the third pool, that thing will be so far from us. It works with a trust. And Brother Branham to demonstrate that it was a case of trust. Sister Hetty Wright said, Brother Branham, that's nothing but the truth. She got a blessing right there. But there was a deacon there, Tony Zabel. He was asked to close with a word of prayer. And he said, Lord, if the prophet is speaking the truth, we will find the squirrels tomorrow. Casting a shadow of doubt. That is why the scripture says, if you say and don't doubt it. So before you say something, think about the odds of doubting it. And then make up in your mind that if God is with me, this thing is going to happen. I love him. I trust him. I'll worship him. It's going to happen anyhow, whether the devil likes it or not. Maybe God wants to play a joker on the devil and put a, lump, a last trump card. But if you are worshipping in a usual manner, you will miss a miracle. 
Because your life is not conducive to miracles. It's well planned and catered for. You've already budgeted your money right up to 4.30 payday next month. So if something squeezes you out of your comfort zone, you say, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? But if you serve an inexhaustible fountain of life that God is, you will say there is more where this came from. So your life is constantly in a trust mode. I often say to to my church folks back home that there is families that if if there is suddenly a spontaneous flux of visitors, the wife speaks with the husband with the eyes. We want to go to the Geneva bedroom conference. And in the Geneva bedroom conferences, you just bought all the means has been budgeted. We had means for Thursday, chicken for Friday. Now all these people, what are we going to feed them? I told them if it's for the business of God, let the whole fridge be eaten. And watch what God will do the following day. Not while the sister is cooking a small pot and another sister says, Sister, we are almost getting to your house. Some more visitors. What if the one that's coming is the one that is your blessing? Hello? Hello? Let me tell you, I'm not here to embarrass my wife. She's one of the best women I've, you can ever meet on it. She's nodding it. Oh God, my husband, don't go there. I'm already there, my wife. I might as well. Praise the Lord. <laughs> At the beginning of the ministry, we were just testifying. I lost everything that I had. I was a businessman doing so well. So everything that I had. But I said, if Lord, if you've called me, this I'm going to do. I'm not going to look for a deal, no business strategy, nothing. Lord, help me. So we would invite people to our house who will testify. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet. We will testify 24-7. We became full-time from day one. We never became full-time when the church got big. Yeah, that is not faith. It's looking at the tides. They say, yeah, now the tides, I can relax. Now I can become full-time. Yeah. I can become full-time. Nah. Nah. No, no, no. We became full-time from day one. So this particular day, a couple comes. And then that couple that comes, my wife has only got about, just about three or so, few biscuits left in a packet. So she made tea for that couple. And then while we were fellowshipping with that couple, she gave me those eyes for the bedroom conference. <laughs> so I went for the bedroom conference. What are we going to do? I said, nothing. We don't have the money. Just five pounds. Just go and buy something. And then while we were speaking in our bedroom conference, another phone call came. Pastor, we are on our way to your house. Two more couples. Then we thought, yeah. And my wife had a friend. They were in the kitchen and said, it's hard to be a woman of God. He said, what am I going to feed visitors? We've got absolutely nothing. She gives me the bedroom conference eyes again. This time I say, I'm not going to Geneva. (laughs) 
So I remain fellowshipping with the people. Then while we are fellowshipping, another phone call comes. And then now by this time I could see that she's now beyond you, which is stressed. Don't ever admire the wives of pastors. They contend with a lot. Most of what we take from you, we pile on them. So at this point in time, you ought to give Sister Florence a hand in just to appreciate her. So this, this last phone call that comes, it's a new couple. They have a testimony. And the testimony is in relation to what I've just preached. So they have to come to the pastor's house. But these ones now, they are coming from the denominations. I like people that come from the denominations, especially those that give. It's only when they hang around message people, that's when they neglect giving. Yes, yes, yes. People know you can't go to the pastor's house empty-handed. It's only in the message people go to the pastor's house and live with groceries. In the Pentecostals, it's the other way around. We should, having, we should be having large pantries at home. Try it once and see how God blesses you. Hallelujah! So this couple that's coming, they keep phoning, says, sorry we are late, pastor, but we are coming. We know you are busy, we are coming. They ring about four or five times. So I then go to my wife, I said, my wife, let's not stress. God knows who's coming and God knows that we've got nothing. Let's believe God for a paradox. I, I, I can't be... Uh, if God understood that we have no, nothing in the house and these people, none of them have been invited, they keep coming, it means that if they, someone will come with a blessing. That last couple that was coming, it came with a car fully loaded with groceries that we spent six months we never bought nothing. There was 50 kgs rice. 50 kgs maize meal. 25 kgs cooking oil. 25 kgs sugar. Juices of all walks and types and flavors. Dilute juices of all walks and types and flavors. Olive oil, aim, and everything you can think about. They took three hours to pack the grocery. The car springs were loaded. I said, that's my Jesus. He's got my name. He knows who I am. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Because I believe in a paradox. I don't calculate how I live. If my life right now demands a thousand, I will give it because I know it is more blessed to give than to receive. When I give, I make room to receive because I serve a God of a paradox. Somebody say amen. When you live in a life of a paradox, brother, you become an anointed vessel ready for a miracle all the time. Somebody say amen. Somebody say glory. Somebody say praise the Lord. Don't doubt this God. We've got to trust him. He said, I am with you this year, 2017. You ought to say, thou art with me. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Brother Branham now says, you all know that that scripture of Mark 11, 22, 
That's my favorite scripture. That's the scripture of the third pool. That's the scripture of the squirrels. That's the scripture of Eti, right? That's the end time anointing. That's the paradoxical scripture. If you say and don't doubt it, it will be so. Say amen to that. And then he says, the other part that, the para, the, that, that scripture was put with a bed called the robin bed. It says that robin had a red chest because he was trying to pull the nails off of Christ at Calvary. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. And he says here, I'm preaching now from this quotation. You begin to see, he says, yeah, that's the quotation of the bed. And then Brother Branham, in the message, who is this Melchizedek, which I'm going to next, you'll begin to notice that after the seals were opened, which is the book of redemption, he begins to actually try to, to actually impart the bride with an expectation for the miraculous. Hence the message paradox. What is a paradox? Something incredible, yet it's true. You know that if I tell it to this guy, he might not believe it. But it actually happened. That's the realm we are in. And you must catch the vision of the hand. Are you with me? Then in this message, who is this Melchizedek? Paragraph 2. Brother Branham is praying. says, we thank thee for thy great power. Thy great revelation of us to us these last days. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you the part why that couple that came with groceries, why they had to come that particular hour. That sister had no papers in UK. And she was working for a certain hospital. And we were preaching about a paradox. And we said, a paradox is when you get to where you are not expecting and God surprises you. So her company, which she works for, applied for her papers. And yet, they did not tell her. And one day, she goes to work. And she's being told, congratulations. Your papers, your work permit has been agreed. They never tell her that since her papers have been agreed, they've also increased their salary. So she goes to Payday comes. She's expecting a usual salary. She goes to her account. There is three times her salary. And she thinks that it's a clerical error. So as an honest Christian, she phones payroll and says to payroll, I've just got my pay slip and I've checked my account. There is so much money. Says, Oh, yes, yes, it's all your money. We forgot to tell you that we backdated your salary from the day you had a work permit. So she came. If, if the groceries she came with, if I was in Harare, I would have opened a tax shop. But it came when I had no penny. A paradox. Something incredible. Yet it's true. 
Now if you notice, the day I preached this sermon in my church, which is a week after last week, that's when I preached this church. My wife, I said to my wife, honey, you need to get a job. Just so at least you know some of the things that we want to do, we are not bothered. Not because she needs to work, but just to sharpen our uh, uh, inspiration, to just sit and, you know. No, we, we've been sitting now. We, it's, it's actually leisurely to just find a, a place to go after we've had a very good clean bath and worn some nice dresses. Amen. So my wife, I said to her, tell the people, whoever wants to employ you, one, it's got to be managerial. Two, it's got to be flexible with working hours. Three, it has to be non-strenuous. She, she applied and applied, 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 applied. There's a hobby, no interview, nothing. Then one day, I'm preaching these sermons now about the paradox. Is that right, my wife? A phone call comes and says, Flo, can we interview tomorrow morning? And Flo says, uh, why so soon? He says, please, Flo, please, we found a job exactly for you. He says, okay, fine. Where is the interview? He says, Lester. He says, okay. My wife says, ah, I'll go to the interview tomorrow at 10. It's a management job. Good salary. I said, ah, oh, good. We put our tom-tom, our GPS. It takes us the root of the church. Corner by corner. Right next to the church. That's where that company is. Which means she walks to church. She can be in service and be managing. <laughs> she gets to the place for the interview. She's there. The manager does not interview her. He's all excited. He says, I've met my person. You are the one. I love you to beat. Flo, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm the director. I want you, I want, I'm looking to retire in four years. I want to find someone to leave this establishment with. Please, Flo, don't refuse my offer. Flo asks, so what's the money? The manager says, can we start you on so much? Flo just says, yeah, 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 because it was ridiculously high. Because it came by a paradox. Are you with me? And then after that, within, I'm now, I'm sitting in the car park. She comes out, says, yeah, a paradox. Something incredible, yet true. The normal process is an interview. Long one. References. Short listing. Then being told she was offered the job on the spot. Then she said, then said, when can you start? Says, uh, I've got a trip with my husband to South Africa um, the 5th of February. We'll probably be back around the 17th, 20th of February. Says, as soon as you come back, Flo, you've started. Now, like my prophet, nothing just happens. If the miracle happens by the pastor's wife, it means the miracle should happen to the church. And if this sermon was vindicated, 
it's got to be vindicated right here too. Somebody in this building is going to have their own paradox. Something that bypasses process. And here's what the prophet says. We thank thee for thy great power. The revelation of thyself to us in the last days. It makes our heart most happy and joyful to know that we have a God. So so we've come into contact with the living God who vindicates it right back in physical, material evidences. And then you tell me a house is ain't a material evidence. Says no, as long as I'm saved in my soul. No. If it's given, it's a possibility. If it's a possibility, it is given. Somebody receive your material evidences of your faith. Whether it's a good car, good house, whatever you require. Hallelujah. It's part and parcel of the message. Says, as he did in the days gone by. And as he has promised for this day. We are so grateful to thee, our God. This dark day where no one seems to know which way to go. We are so glad that we have found the safety zone. The retreat. Whatever you are running from, every foul spirit right now is under the dominion of this sermon. We declare this a safety zone. All the spirits that have been put upon your life that make you feel like nobody, they have been defeated right now, right here by you. He is with us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Brother Branham now comments in the message paradox, which I also quoted in the morning. says, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he walked on the water. Explain that to me. Paradox. One day, took five biscuits and two fishes and fed 5,000. What kind of an atom did he turn loose? Now, that wasn't even fish alive. When he broke that bread, he broke it off a piece of biscuit. When he handed it out, time he got to the hand back again, there was another biscuit there. Already raised. The wheat in the field already cooked. All the grease in it. And seasoned. Ocean baskets could never present the fish like the fish that was presented when he fed the 5,000. By a paradox. And he greased it. See, seasoned. Here was a piece of fish. He broke it off. And another piece of cooked fish. Amen. That's what a paradox is. Something that bypasses the protocol and the processes. You must believe that he is with you. And then answer back and say, thou art with me. 
you will be able to see a paradox every time when things don't look in your favor. And then he says, Hallelujah! Amen! That's what the prophet says. And then he says, that element of doing the miraculous is given to us, to you. That is why, brothers and sisters, don't settle to live an ordinary life. Every challenge you meet is for you to experience your paradox. When God spoke to Gideon, he said, I am with you. And then Gideon assembled a big army. And the Lord had to streamline it so that he can go with few. So that he can demonstrate his power. And I want you to know, church, tonight, don't discount the miraculous in your life. Live under expectation of a miracle from today onwards. Because that element is given to us if we just abide in the word, stay there, believe it. Says we are on the verge of seeing it happen. This is 1962. We should be saying we now live in it. Live true to the word. There you are. He had cooked fish. That was a paradox. May God bless you. Because of our communion, I'd like to hand over the service to our pastor. And uh, I'd like to bid farewell to my brother-in-law who I have held up. I said I'm going to preach for a short time so that he can be on his way. Three hours journey. And I'm also now on my way to Johannesburg uh, as well. So, church... Expect a paradox. Don't limit God. May God bless you. Just a worshiping song. As we stand to our feet. A round of applause for the message. A round of applause for Brother Crosby. Amen. May God give them the traveling mercy. Among the, if they ask you, who am I? I'm redeemed. Amen. I am redeemed, I'm bought with the price, Jesus, Jesus has changed my whole
chapter 11 and we'll take it from verse 23 that is first Corinthians 11 from verse 23 if you have found it it reads in this manner for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that in the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread it was in the evening time, hence we partake of the Lord's Supper during the evening time. I will just ask so that there should be a little movement as we are reading the scriptures here. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. That is why whenever we partake this kosher bread, it symbolizes the broken body of Jesus Christ. I've often said, hence, whenever you put it in your mouth, it has to be crispy. As you eat it, it gets broken into your mouth as you chew it, which symbolizes the broken body of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This ye do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It has to be taken with some sincerity to avoid. Brother Branham says, as he speaks about verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. It refers to premature death. For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Amen. So we often say, whenever you partake from the Lord's Supper, you've got to be baptized, having been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for the believers. But if you are here as a, a, a visitor, you can observe. But again, it's a catch-22 because if we don't partake, 
you are guilty. And if you partake unworthily, you are guilty. The best way is to make sure that you are right. And how do you make sure that you are right? You repent and you, be, you get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Then you get baptized into the body. Then you can be able to observe these divine ordinances. Amen. So just give us a worshiping song as we are preparing the table. Jesus keeps thee near the cross. There
Gracious Heavenly Father, we are about to partake from your table. And Lord, we just want to bless the communion and as well as the wine that the believers will partake and as well as the bread that they will partake. Let it not just be a tradition or a ritual. Let it be something that we will approach with the sincerity of heart, knowing and remembering what happened 2,000 years ago when in that moment of pressure, a redemption process was touching Heavenly Father. May you bless all that will partake and let it through this communion, if there are those that are sick and afflicted, may you bring healing upon their bodies as I commit all of them to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can take your seats and come. Maybe we can start on this row, this side, row by row. Brahma Shah will help us. <laughs> 